Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, good morning. This morning, we have a a very special guest with us today. Um, He's a dear friend of mine. We actually started in uh, youth and college ministry together way back in the like mid to late 90s. Uh, he was at First Baptist Church uh, and I was at Hoffmantown. And so we, we, we began a friendship back then and um, we still get together to this day and our wives and our good friends. And, uh, but Dan, Dan Lewis uh, is here with us and he graduated with a ministry degree from Grand Canyon University, lopes up. Um, and then a Master of Divinity from Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, and then Dan and his wife, uh, Tracy, planted a church on the west side and pastored that for 15 years. And then uh, he went into the business world and since then has owned several different businesses, has bought and sold businesses. And uh, probably what he's most known for uh, now is he's actually in his third term as an Albuquerque city councilor. Uh, he's a city councilor for the West Side. And so if you, you know, have any trash issues or road repair needs, you could talk to him after service today. Um, <laughs> um, but after all these years of, of knowing each other, um, you know, I've never had the opportunity to actually sit and like hear him preach. So I'm so excited about this. So Dan, come on up and let's give him a welcome. Well, thank you so much, and thank you to, to Pastor Dave. Um, you know, God has just kind of intertwined our lives in so many ways over the, over the years, and in ministry, and in business, and in politics, and public service, and so I thank God for, uh, for Dave and, and Anna and their family and the blessing that they've been to us over the years, and I know that they're a great blessing to you too, and uh, I want to thank your pastor as well for having me here, your senior pastor, Dave. I had the chance to hear him speak last week, and wow, you have an incredible pastor uh, that's coming to this church, so I'm excited for you. You know, you can tell when God is doing something in a church and in a city, uh, because God calls godly people, you know, to come and to get in on what he's doing. And so how do you know if God's at work in the city? How was how God working in, in New Covenant Church? Um, because God is working, you know, when God is working, um, there's godly people like your pastor Dave who are praying to get in on where God is working. That's how you understand God's will for your life. And so he's praying that, that he would be a part of the work of God and God led him to come to this church. And that's how you can tell that God's at work in this church and God's going to do some great things in this city because he's called your pastor here. So I'm excited about the days ahead uh, for New Covenant Church and what God's going to do here. You know, as Dave mentioned, I'm a city councilor. You know, people ask me, how could you make it through those meetings? You know, I mean, people come to those meetings, and as a city councilor in those council meetings, there's people that come and complain, and they, they come, and there's conflict. They call you names. Um, they argue. And, uh, and I remind them, my friends, I tell them, you know, I was a pastor for 20 years. And uh, <laughs> we had these meetings called deacon's meetings. And uh, so far, nothing like that compared to those, you know. You know, I'm just kidding. And, you know, in, in the church, we're, we're called to, 
to, uh, to, to resolve conflict. And so when there's conflict in the church and relationships, we, you know, we forgive each other and we have unity and uh, we, that's our goal. And so, so if there's, there's a, a meeting like that and there's, there's challenges like that, we hug it out, right? And I learned very quickly that in politics, we're probably not going to hug it out, you know, uh, in a meeting like this. So I, but I try to. I try to still. I try to, try to forgive and try to, try to have unity in, in that way too. You know, a city changes when people's hearts change. And only Jesus can change people's hearts. And that's why New Covenant Church is the hope of this city. Because you have a message that can change the hearts of people. When you share the message and the love of Jesus Christ that came to forgive, to forgive us from our sins and to give us a new life, to give us access to God, and when you're faithful to sharing that message, then hearts change in a city and a city changes and a state changes and a country changes. So I hope you'll be faithful to the message that God's given you that can truly change our city, and our city needs it. Don't you think? Not a whole lot of peace in our city right now, but we have the message that can give the peace of God that can ultimately change lives and change a city. So New Covenant Church, you're the hope of the world. You're the hope of the city as you're faithful to share that message. What you do is life-giving and life-changing. And I pray that you're faithful to that. You know, I, I enjoyed hearing your pastor speak last week, and he, he talked about your identity in Christ. He talked about a standing for the truth of the Word of God. I love that. And one of, the, one of the things he said, he said, now is not the time to stay quiet about the truth of the gospel. And that is so true. Um, I, 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 I pray for this church, and I know that God's going to lead you to be faithful to that in every way. And in the, in the Bible, the, you know, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and uh, he asked them, he said, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up and he said, well, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, uh, come to save, save the world. And uh, Jesus said, you're right. In fact, Jesus said, uh, Peter, you're the rock. And he said, on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia, the Greek word, the assembly, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus used that word ecclesia, which means the assembly, and he meant you'll be an assembly called out for my purpose. But he used that term uh, meaning this gathering, this assembly of people. And in that day, there was, a, there was assemblies like that. That word was also used you know, in Jerusalem in that day as the assembly of people that would, would, would go and they'd talk about freedom and equality. They'd talk politics. They'd talk about God. They'd talk about the issues of the day, often in the town square. You know, in public places, they would have these discussions. And I believe that God doesn't call us away from that. You know, as, as Christians, as the church, God calls us to be actively involved in the public square, in the public discussions, and uh, talking about freedom and quality and talking about the things of God from a biblical worldview, that God has called us to that. God wants us to be concerned about the peace of our city. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, and seek the peace of the city and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Not a whole lot of peace in this city right now, but God's called us to pray for it. In Proverbs 20, verse 2, it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. That's so true, isn't it? And so God's called us, I think, to be in the public square and sharing a biblical worldview in the public square. Well, the disciples were often speaking in the public square. And they were talking about freedom and equality and politics and 
the issues of the day, and they shared the love of Jesus in that arena. And I want you to take a look at Acts chapter 4. That's our verse, our, our chapter, our verse for the day, and talk about some verses in here. Well, in, in the beginning of Acts chapter 4, the disciples uh, were preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. In fact, uh, the Bible says that there was, there was such a great crowd, over 5,000 people began to believe. And they healed a man. And uh, this man was standing there healed, and he was speaking and sharing about what, what Jesus had done for them. But they were speaking in the name of Jesus, and the city rulers didn't like it. The Sanhedrin, the Bible talks about the city rulers of the day, the, 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 the religious leaders. And they brought Peter and the disciples. They put him in jail. They decided to give him, a, give him a jail stay overnight. And the next day, they brought him before him, and they said, you know, what name, what authority are you speaking you know, whose authority are you speaking on behalf of? And this is what they said in, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. They said, well, first they said, it's the name of Jesus that we're speaking. And, he, and they said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the, the, the courage, the city leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So they let him go because they couldn't deny it. Here's this man, he's healed. There were 5,000 people that were, that were eyewitnesses to it. They, were, you know, they accepted the gospel and they let him go. But they warned him. They said, do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And so in Acts verse 18, they said, um, again, they called him in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, and I love this, Talk about courage. Talk about knowing your identity in Christ and standing for, for, uh, for the truth. They said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge. As for us, we can't stop. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. You see, Peter and John, the disciples, they knew who they were, and they talked truth in the public square. They talked truth in the arena, the public arena that God put them in. Now, we all have different worldviews. And in this world, you know, we look at things through different lenses. That's why we have wars in this world. That's why there's conflict. Because we have different lenses that we look at life with. And those, that worldview is what we base our uh, belief in, what we base our decisions on. And we see through that lens. You know, I'm not a big social media guy. But I'm not on tweet. I don't tweet. I do TikTok and Instagram and some of those. And one of the one of my favorite filters on TikTok is the cry filter. Have you seen that? So Trace and I find this, and, and it, it makes you this filter that makes you look like if you're laughing, it makes it look like you're crying, and if you're talking, you're you're sad and you're crying. It's a great date night. We spent two hours just laughing, you know, in front of this. Um, but it's a filter. I like the pretty filter, too, because I need the, all the help I can get, but um, I don't use that. So we all have different lenses. We're looking at the same thing, but we have different lenses and filters. And the, the problem with our worldview is that we're influenced by the worldview of other people. We get our worldview often from the world and not the Word of God. So we get it from our parents. We give it for our upbringing. We get it from the culture you know, around us, and we have this different lens, this, this worldview that we look at, look at life with. There was a recent study, and they, they wanted to ask Americans 
how spiritual, they want to find out how spiritual Americans are. So they asked some questions, and the first one was simply, how, how spiritual are you? And 62% of people in America said that they are deeply spiritual. So, you know, deeply spiritual was how they described, you know, their, their spiritual life, their view of life. But then they wanted to know, well, well, how deeply spiritual are you? How do you make your moral decisions? What's the basis for your moral decisions? And 31% said, well, I make my moral decisions on what feels right, what feels comfortable. That doesn't sound very biblical, does it? Uh, but 31%, a third said, I make my decisions based on just how, how it feels, you know, what feels comfortable to me. Um, 18% said, I do what's best for me. I mean, I make moral decisions based on what's best for me. If I see that it's in my best interest, it's something that's best for me, then that's how I make my moral decisions, 18%. 14% I said, I do what make my moral decisions based on what is the least conflict with other people. So kind of the path of least resistance. Uh, it doesn't sound like a biblical you know, worldview. 16% said, I make my moral decisions on what the Bible says. So what does that mean? It means that there's a lot of Christians that have a, a worldly worldview. A lot of Christians, you're on your way to heaven, but you are influenced by uh, a worldview that is not a biblical worldview that's based on the truth and the Word of God. And what are the results? I tell you, there's devastating results of that in our world today, in our culture today. The results are a lot of stress. Uh, the, the devastating results are brokenness and problems uh, because we're operating on the wrong operating system. I want to talk to you this morning and just, just briefly about some of the, some of the big worldviews that we're all influenced by that we pick up. And some people live their life with these worldviews. Now, there's a lot of them, but I just want to talk to you about four, and they're isms. Um, and so we'll, we'll just talk about four of them. But the first one is materialism. Materialism. And this is the, the worldview that stuff is God, that money is God. And I base my value, my self-worth on how much stuff I have. The acquisition of things is the goal if you are a materialist. And it's a stupid way of living. It's a really a stupid philosophy of life because we know that you don't take anything into this world. We didn't bring anything here. Uh, we can pile it up, but we're going to leave it here uh, when, we, when, we, when we die. And so it's really kind of a dumb way to live. Um, but a lot of people live their life with that worldview and make decisions. Jesus had a different worldview. Jesus said in Luke 12, man's life does not consist of the abundance of things. God's word says we were made for more than the material stuff on this earth. My, when my daughter, my daughter's uh, older now, and she's married and has a, you know, one of the most favorite people in my life, my grandson. But uh, when my, and she's very generous. She's loving and generous, but when she was five years old, she was not, you know. Um, in fact, when she was five years old, I remember I had, we, I took her out, we took her out to McDonald's, and, and uh, she loved McDonald's, so we was a little daddy-daughter date time at McDonald's, and I ordered just some McDonald's fries. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. They're doing the Lord's work at McDonald's with those fries. But, um, so she's eating her fries, and, and, uh, and I reach over, and I grab one of my little five-year-old's fries. And Maddie at the time, uh, the sinner that she was, just said, Dad, you know, those are my fries. That's my fries. And she was upset. Now, a lot of things went through my mind during that time. I didn't say it, but I thought it. 
And I just kind of thought and looked at my little girl, my sweet little girl, and, and I thought, you know, what she doesn't realize is that her daddy is the source of all of her fries. Like, I'm the source, you know? And if I wanted to, I could shower her in fries. I mean, I could have a huge pile of fries and right in front of her, you know? I could make it where she couldn't move with all the fries, you know? I have enough money to do that. I'm her dad. I have the source to do it. And also, I could make sure that she never has another fry again until she's 18 years old, you know? But I'm the source of her fries. And what I really wanted my daughter to understand, I guess internally, is that I just want her to know that I'm the source of her fries, and she should be a little bit grateful for it, you know? You understand that? You know, the, the, the challenge in our life is that we live our lives still thinking that, even as adults, you know, that this is, this is my stuff. You know, the first words that our, our children learn, you know, there's always this debate over from, with moms and dads over what's the first word that the child's going to say. Is it going to be mom, mama, or dada, right? And, and, you know, moms and dads go to great lengths to just try to get them to say, you know, dad or mom or one or the other, and they kind of fight over it and... You know, I, I always just thought that was just kind of silly, which is why I never made a big deal about both my kids said dada before they said mama. But anyway, but the, the first word is one of those. The second word is the word no, right? Uh, they learn that word no uh, when they're little, and it's usually the, about the second word they, they learn. And say, psychologists say that's a good word. Psychologists say that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good for their independence, you know, to learn the word no. I'm convinced that psychologists that say that have never had children of their own. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's the other word. The other word is the word mine, right? That's mine. And sadly, many people go into their adult life and still say in mine. There'll be a day when you say to God, everything is yours, God. You know, all my life, everything is yours. Or you'll clutch to the things on this earth and say it's all mine. You see, it's a, it's a difference between a, a materialism worldview that we're influenced by and a biblical worldview a little bit of materialism kind of creep in your life at times. It's, it's, it's not a biblical worldview. Here's the second one. The second one is, is hedonism. If materialism, if money is God, if materialism, money is God, stuff is God, and hedonism, happiness is God. You know, pleasure is God. The goal is to be comfortable. The goal is what matters most is how I feel about it. And a lot of people live their life with a hedonism philosophy. Well, what does the Bible say? Materialism says happiness is God. The Bible says to seek first the kingdom of God. And then the result is lasting joy. You see, God puts you here for so much more than thrills and pleasures and the things that this life can bring. In fact, happiness is a byproduct of living for the purpose that God created you for. Holiness is creates happiness. In Proverbs 21, it says, are, are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure never satisfies. And why is that? Because it's never enough. If you ask the materialist, you know, how much, money, how much more money do you need or stuff do you need to be happy? And they'll say just a little bit more. Or you ask the hedonist, you know, how, much, how many more thrills or pleasures do you need to have to really be happy? And they'll say just a little bit more. It never satisfies. I love the fact that the Bible is honest and the Bible says that, you know, sin feels good for a while. Um, you know, pleasures and thrills of this earth. I mean, the Bible's honest. Yeah, you'll have fun, but it doesn't last and it'll cost you. 
It could cost you your soul. It could cost you a broken body, a broken mind, a broken heart, and broken relationships. In Galatians 6, 8, the Bible says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires, that's hedonism, will harvest the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So hedonism. You know, my dad was a pastor, and he was a missionary for a lot of my life. And, and uh, we were, he was a missionary to pastors in Wyoming, in southeast Wyoming. And we lived in Cheyenne. And I would travel with my dad all over the state of Wyoming when I was in high school as he would preach and he would administer to little churches and pastors all over the, the state of Wyoming. And uh, it, was, it was wonderful to be able to you know, spend time with my dad in that way. But he ministered in a, to a group of people that are very self-made. You, know, you have ranchers and people in Wyoming that you know, uh, they've acquired a lot of things and big ranches. And my dad tells a story about how he went to a church and one of the ranchers invited him to come over uh, to his house for lunch. And he was just going to church with his wife. He wasn't a believer. And, but he invited my dad to come and, and to, to visit him and have lunch you know, that day. And after lunch, uh, they went out to the porch of his ranch house, and my dad stood next to this rancher, and he was talking about, you know, the, the ranch. And he said, if you look over this direction over here, he said, everything that you can see, in fact, as far as you can see it, you can't even see the rest of my, my land over there. Um, but all of that in this direction is, is all that's, all that's uh, all mine. And then he said, if you look over here, there's, you know, see the lake over there and the, the river and and everything as far as you see in this direction is, is also mine, part of my, my property here. And then he says, if you look in this direction over here, uh, all the cattle that you see, everything over there, all, all that is a, is a part of my, my ranch here, mine. So my dad just kind of listened to him for a while, and, he, and then he put his hand on his shoulder, on the rancher's shoulder, and he, and he just pointed up. And he said, what about this direction? <laughs> How about that direction? And the rancher goes, you know, I hadn't thought about that before. And my dad had the opportunity to be able to share with him about treasures in heaven and about, you know, these things on this earth. I mean, they're not going to, whatever, whatever satisfaction you get, they're not going to last. What about this direction? You see, if you live your life, you know, with, with this stuff and things and the thrills and the pleasures of this world, it doesn't last for a little while. Um, but the Bible says that lay up treasures in heaven. Where are you? What do you have in that direction? Here's the third one. It's individualism. If uh, materialism is money is God and hedonism is, is, is happiness is God, then individualism is I am God. And it's a, it's a worldview that we are influenced by in so many ways, and some people live their life by it. If you're an individualist, uh, it's, a, it's a self-centered lifestyle. In America, we have just nurtured this culture of narcissism you know, in, in America today, and, and uh, all, in fact, you know, every advertisement appeals to our self-centeredness. You know, think about it. Everything that you watch and see appeals to your self-centeredness, and it's an individualistic worldview that we're bombarded with, you know, constantly. And again, many people live their life. We have iPhones, you know, and iPads. I love them, you know, but it's, it's a, you know, we have YouTube. Uh, when you, on YouTube, you post, you know, pictures about, or, you know, videos about yourself, um, if you want to do it instantly, just Instagram, here's me instantly. And so everything, you know, if you think about everything, just some examples, but everything in our culture and advertising is about feeding this self-centeredness kind of a worldview. In individualism, it's all about you. In a biblical worldview, 
The Bible says it's all about God. It's all about Him. Because God didn't create you to live for you. The Bible says that God made you far bigger than that with such a greater purpose. And by the way, people get married with, with this worldview. Many people enter into marriage and say, well, he completes me. You know? She makes me happy. You know? Again, it's about me. And you, know, you should have that. If you get married, you should, you should feel that way. Um, but it's a terrible reason to get married. And by the way, people say, well, I, that, another reason is to get married. I, I'm getting married because I, I love her. You know, that's, a, that's a good reason. You should have that. But it should not be the only reason. It should not be the reason. You know? The reason is because you believe that it's God that's putting you together. That you want to obey God. God's leading you. But people, I mean, if you get married because you love each other, there's going to be a time when you don't feel love each other, and it's going to be a good reason to, get, to end it. You know? If you get married because you feel like he completes me, there's going to be a time when you don't feel like he completes you, and it'll be a good reason to end that marriage. And that's why we see you know, divorces. People, people don't get married because they believe God is leading them together. But it's a different worldview. It's an individualism you know, worldview. In Philippians 2, it says, Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. The world says to serve yourself. We're bombarded with things that say, you know, people say, love yourself, live for yourself, do what's best for yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Jesus says, live for him and serve others. You know, God designed us to love, and love is giving yourself away. And by the way, God is love. And what did God do? God is not selfish. You know, God gives himself away. There's a great story in the Old Testament. And you see God calling people from living a self-centered life to an others, a Jesus-centered life, all the way through the Scripture. And in the Old Testament, there's this great story about King David. And there was a time when King David was a king-in-waiting. And Saul was the king, and Saul was not a good king at the time, but David was the, the chosen one, the anointed one of God to be the king. And that created a lot of conflict, and there was wars between David's people and Saul's people. And Saul had a son. Saul's son name was jo- his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were best friends. They were great friends. I mean, it was like a, a friendship that was just world-renowned even today. This is the kind of friendship that you should have. This is what it means, a real friendship means. And so David loved Jonathan, and Jonathan loved David. They were great friends, but David and Saul were in conflict and war with each other. And so ultimately, uh, you know, a great battle, and Saul uh, died in battle. And so did his son Jonathan, and so did most of his family. Um, and David was king, the anointed one became king. And David, after some time had passed, and he was, you know, the Bible said David is a man after God's own heart. And he wanted to please God, and he wanted to be the kind of king that would just do what God wanted him to do and lead those people in a way that God would lead them. And so David had a very generous heart, and David was just overwhelmed one time with just the fact that God had given him so much and that he loved God so much. And then he was overwhelmed with this sense of wanting to show that kindness and that love to other people. So David brought his, his people around him and he said, I want to show some kindness to someone in Saul's house, in Saul's family. And he said, is there anybody, anybody, anybody all over the land that's still alive that's a part of Saul's family? And so in that day, 
um, if there was a, a, a previous king, normally the entire family would have been wiped out because then they wouldn't be a threat to the, to the new king. And so that was really just the, what would happen in that day. Nobody would live if you were a part of the king's family that was no longer in power. And so the people did some searching. They found, and they came to David and they said, there is one person. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a kid named Mephibosheth. And he's in hiding right now because he's afraid of you, David. But he's a grandson of Saul. He's a son of Jonathan, and he's in hiding. And the Bible says that he's crippled. He's no threat to you. He's a cripple. And so David said, I want you to find him, and I want you to bring him to me. And so David wanted to show compassion and kindness, and this is what he says. And you know, they, they brought Mephibosheth before him. And in 2 Samuel 9, David says to Mephibosheth, he's, he's trembling in fear you know, before David and thinks this is it. You know, he's going to wipe out the last one. And so Mephibosheth is standing before David, and David says, don't be afraid. He says, I will show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. You will always eat at my table. And so Mephibosheth, the Bible says, ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. It's a great story. And you know what it is? It's a reflection of God to us. We are weak and we are broken. And yet God has a place for us at his table. We are hiding and we are separated from God. And yet if we receive God's kindness, God's grace, God's forgiveness, we have access to a relationship with God and access to a seat at his table. It's also a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do, of what Jesus did. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, I did not I come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, ultimately, Jesus came to serve, to give, to love, not to be served. And God calls you and me, you know, in this world, a purpose, our biblical worldview is to serve others, to put him first, to love and to give, not to be served, but to serve him as, as Jesus has done and set that example for us. So that's individualism. A lot of people, any individualism kind of creep into your life? It's not a biblical worldview. Here's the, the last one is collectivism, or it's called socialism. Collectivism, socialism, and it's an anti-Christian worldview. In materialism, stuff is God. In hedonism, happiness is God. Individualism, I am God. And in socialism or collectivism, it's the, it's the, um, the worldview that government is God and that government should, should control um, everything. Now, nothing wrong with government. Um, it's good. It can be good. God invented you know, government. God's not an anarchist. God loves order. He created order. In fact, God, in the Bible, God created three institutions. God created family, the institution of family. God created the institution of the church. And God created the institution of government. God's a God of order. But here's what I've found is that people that don't know God tend to make government their God. Because if you have no higher authority to look to to meet their needs, they want to look to the government to meet their needs. Not looking to the one who can actually make the world better, but they treat government like God. Now, what does the Bible say about that? What's the biblical worldview? 
Well, the Bible says there's three purposes of the government. One is to protect freedom. The other is to ensure justice and then to preserve the peace. Now, individualism says, I know best. Socialism or collectivism says the government knows best. They're both wrong. Jesus said this. Jesus had a limited view of, of government. And he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God's what is God's. The government role is to protect, preserve freedom, to give order. So what do you owe the government? Well, according to Jesus, you owe, you owe taxes, you know, respect, uh, to try to make it better. What do you owe God? You owe Him your life, your life. And by the way, who is Jesus, or, or, or actually, who is Caesar in a democracy? The Bible says, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Who is Caesar in a democracy or in America? It's you. I mean, we don't have a king. We don't have a Caesar. It's you. you know, in America, you know, the, the, the power is granted to the people. In Philippians 3.20, the Bible says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So we have this, as Christians, we have this dual citizenship. We might be citizens of this world, but we are citizens of heaven. And then when the disciples were faced with choosing you know, what the city leaders said to do over God. Remember what they said? They said, we must obey God rather than men. If there's a disagreement between government and God, I'm going to side with God every time. So we have these worldviews that we pick them up from everywhere, um, and yet we look at our owner's manual, God's Word, and there's this biblical worldview. What's the result of all these worldviews in our, in our country today? Well, the result is that right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. Uh, the result is a whole lot of corruption and chaos and confusion. The result is conflict everywhere you look, not a whole lot of peace. But we have this owner's manual, and if we don't follow it, we get hurt. In fact, you know, if we, we don't break God's laws. They break us, you know. You don't break the law of gravity. If you ignore it, it will break you. And a lot of people are living their lives and like, like, you know, you get up in a hot air balloon and they, they decide that I'm going to ignore the law of gravity and you jump out. And about halfway down, you know, somebody yells up, hey, how you doing? And you say, hey, so far so good, you know? <laughs> you know. That's where a lot of people live their life, just ignoring the laws of God. About halfway into this and hey, so far so good. But there is an incoming, you know, we don't follow the owner's manual. We get hurt. So where do we find a biblical worldview? Well, God gave us His Word. God gave us the Bible. And you know, there are a lot of things in God's Word as Christians with a biblical worldview that we could stand for. And to be honest, it doesn't take a whole lot of courage. And, and the world won't hate us for it. You can say, well, you know, God's Word tells us as a Christian, I'm to care for the poor. And we should. And guess what? The rest of the world goes, great. That's awesome. We're We're good. The Bible says to care for the sick, and the world says, good, that's, that's great. Love others, you know, and the Bible says, that's, or people say, that's great. You know, a lot of things in the, in the Bible that honestly don't take a lot of courage either. It's just about following Jesus and following the Word of God. You know, tell the truth. Everybody says, if you're an atheist, and, and, and you say, you know, God wants me to tell the truth, they'll say, okay, good, that's good. You know, not a lot of courage to do that. But there are... You know, there, there is a biblical worldview and things in our biblical worldview and the scriptures and 
as followers of Christ where when we stand for the world will hate us. And people hate us, especially in this culture today. And those are the areas of sanctity. Those are the areas of the sanctity of life, the sanctity of sex, the sanctity of marriage. If you take a stand for a biblical worldview on those issues today, you know, people are going to have a hard time with it. And it's going to take a whole lot of courage to do that. But we don't pick and choose parts of the Bible. You can live your life and you can say, well, I like this in the Bible. I like love others and all that. But I don't like this part of the Bible, and so I'm going to pick and choose this. And a lot of people live and, and do that. But guess what? That's, not, that's, a, that's, a, that's a worldly worldview. You know, that's not, say, I'm going to pick and choose. That means that, hey, I'm, I know what's best. And basically saying, you know, I'm God rather than God knows best and God knows what he's doing. And so we can't pick and choose. We believe God's word. And it's going to take courage to stand for some of the things that, that, uh, that are the truth in God's word and truth in our lives. And one of them is, I'll just talk, I want to talk about just briefly about one of them this morning, and that is the sanctity of life. You know, God has a purpose for every unborn baby. God planned your life before you were born. God planned your life before your parents were born. Before God created the universe, he thought of you. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies in this world. There are illegitimate parents, but no illegitimate babies. You may not have planned a child, and your parents may not have planned you, but God planned you, and God is bigger than any human mistakes and any human sin. God is so big that he can take your mistakes and make it a part of his plan. In Psalm 139, verse 14, it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. God saw you in your mother's womb. God was watching. He was a part of it. He said, when I, made, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. God was watching the formation of my body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friends, it's not a fetus, it's a person. It's you. And in Proverbs, the Bible says that we are to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. What is the group that cannot speak for themselves more than any other group? It's the unborn. And God says that you and I are to stand for the sanctity of life. And if I claim to be a Christian, I should believe every single word, every single life is sacred in every word of the Bible. <clears throat> so I tell you, it's not a popular opinion, but it's the truth. And if you're going to courageously stand for the truth, we have to believe in the sanctity of life. You say, well, says who? Says God, not me. It's God's word. By the way, this week on Monday night, we had a, a vote, you know. And it was about this issue. It was about sending taxpayer dollars, your money, to support abortions, you know, in the city of Albuquerque. And there was a, there was a man. You have two minutes to come, and you can come speak in, in those council meetings. If there's an issue of a bill that we're having, you come and you can say anything you want for two minutes. And there was a gentleman that came down, and he just opened his Bible, and he went to the lectern, and he said, he just began to read Psalm 139, that verse I just read. I could tell you that he was one of the most hated people in that room, other than me who voted against it. You know, against that funding as well. You see, you know what? There's some things that the world will say, okay, that's so good, that's good. And there's some things that the, 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 the you know, people will hate us for. But see, we need to have the courage to stand for the truth in the public arena. 
By the way, that public arena may not just be city council meeting, a commission meeting, a school board meeting, maybe a neighborhood association meeting, maybe a break room in, in your work, just where you gather together with your neighbors or friends and you're talking about, a lot of times discussion comes up talking about equality and, and freedom and, you know, in our world today. And God needs us to be able to share and give examples and, and live out you know, the, truth, the truth of God's word. And that includes the sanctity of, of, of life. Well, two things I want to challenge you with before we pray, and we'll pray in just a moment. I want to challenge you with two things. One is to accept the authority of the Word of God. So just decide that I'm going to accept God's Word as my owner's manual. Um, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it in my life, and I'm going to live by this book. The Bible says the truth, the Word of God, is the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you build your life on the rock, that rock of the Word of God never changes. And there's confidence and stability. If you build your life on a world view of the world, if you build your life on the opinions of other people, if you build your life on, on, on other people's opinions or popular opinions, you'll be knocked to the ground. You'll find your life, the rug pulled out from underneath you. and shaky ground. Build your life on the Word and not the world. You know, it's hard because I want people to like me. I know you do too. I, I want to compromise at times. But I tell you, I fear God's disapproval more than I fear man's approval. So accept that God's word is the authority of your life. And number two is to spend personal time with Jesus. Spend personal time with Jesus. If you spend time you know, praying and listening to God and seeking God, spend personal time with him, the less you'll be influenced by the opinions of others. In fact, the more you spend time with Jesus, the less that those opinions are even going to matter to you anymore. In Acts 4.13, and we read this earlier, remember, remember what the, you know, the people noticed about Peter and John? It says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. They spent time with Jesus, and God gives us that ability to be able to do that today. Access to him, access to God, and spending time with the Lord. If you do, and you spend more time with Jesus, you're going to have more courage. And the opinions of this world are going to be, um, you're going to care less about the opinions of this world. It's not popular. It's not easy. But the rewards of knowing your identity in Christ and standing for the truth are enormous. And those rewards last forever. We're going to pray. I know the band's going to come, but we're going to pray and, and, um, and take this to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you that you not only just tell us what to do, but you give us your spirit to guide us. You give us your spirit to give us your power and your strength to be able to live out your truth in this world. And Lord, I know that as we live and, and share your truth that that, uh, that the city will be blessed, that our families will be blessed, and that your name will be known. And when your name is known and people come to understand what you've done for them, Lord, and then hearts will change and lives will change and then this city change and our country changes. So Lord, we praise you. I pray you give us your, your strength and your power and your grace and I pray there's those here this morning that may not know you personally. Maybe they've never thought about the, the direction above. 
Maybe they've never pointed there. Maybe they looked around and, and saw the direction of things that they have on this earth, and, but never really thought about storing up treasures in heaven and what, what life after this earth means. And I pray that they come to know you and open their hearts to you this morning and understand what you've done for them, that you've given them the kind of grace that's forgiven them of their sins, given them a new life, given them access to you if they'll accept it and trust you and trust your word. And I pray if that's you this morning that you'd make that decision this morning to trust God, to say yes to Jesus. And Lord, thank you, Lord, as, as Christians here, Lord, I pray you give us the boldness and the courage to, to live out your truth and even the tough ones, even the things that the world hates us for, that we would, we would stand for the truth of God's word and we live it, teach it to our children and share it with those around us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.